0: hey welcome to bts podcast this is your host Lene cook this is your first time listening to this podcast let me introduce myself well not myself i'm Lene cook i already did that but let me introduce the theme of the podcast so on this podcast i talk to people about the behind the scenes of final products that can mean them themselves if they're a public figure that can also mean just sort of like the work that goes into their particular role at a company And I like to talk to people with similar roles or functions but across different industries and practices because I think it's really important to show that there are many ways to find success and to grow and that it really does depend on your personality type. There is not a one size fits all approach to doing well outside of I would like to think that the one-size-fits-all should be being a good person. On this episode, I'm very excited to have on Demola Agundepay. He is the CEO of Civic Eagle, which you will learn all about in this episode. Demola and I met at South by Southwest. Thanks to Humble Ventures, I would like to thank the people at Humble for introducing us. When they heard about what this podcast is about, they immediately marched me over to Demola to make an introduction, which I cannot thank them enough for. I have greatly enjoyed hearing from him and learning about his experience getting investment from backstage, which I'm a big fan of. If you don't know of Arlen Hamilton, please look up her story. She's absolutely an inspiration. And I wouldn't have known or met the people of Humble if it weren't for Chris Denson. If you don't know who Chris Denson is, look up his podcast. It's great. It's called Innovation Crush, and I have listened to it for some time. He has since become a friend of mine and just been really great with advice and I love listening to his podcast and checking out his guests. They always have a lot of really interesting information to share and I'm just grateful all around apparently. Before jumping into this episode, I just want to say that this episode is made possible thanks to the support of Trendscaping. Trendscaping and I partnered up for all of the episodes of BTS podcast surrounding South by Southwest You can go on Trendscaping and read more about these episodes, including the ones with Brittany Hicks and Jessica Couch, who focus on the intersection of fashion and technology, and they shared a wealth of information on episodes 9 and 10. If you don't know about Trendscaping, I highly recommend checking them out across social platforms, going to the website, and subscribing to their newsletter. Trendscaping is a really excellent community that focuses on sharing trends and insights across verticals. I have contributed a few different things on there, one of which was when I went to the Pagall basketball court in Paris, and I think it was just a really good example of installation murals meets um, community and a branded activation. things like that. I encourage you to go to the website and look at their 2019 trends report just for an understanding of how they share trends and insights. One cool thing about Trendscaping is that you can contribute. So if there's something that's been on your mind that you've noticed in the world, you can reach out and share that with them and they will support your content. I love following them, I love getting their newsletter, and I love contributing, so do look them up, and I am super grateful for their existence in general and for partnering with me on this podcast. Hey, you're listening to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook, and I am doing, in fact, what is our first uh, remote recorded podcast with Damola Agundipay. Hi, Damola.
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great. How are you? Pretty good. Um, I'm super excited to have you on today. Um, a little bit about Demola. He is the CEO of Civic Eagle, which is bringing tech innovation to a regulatory affairs. Civic Eagle uses AI to help nonprofits and enterprises identify, track, and analyze legislation and regulations so that they're able to work smarter and more collaboratively. Um, we met at a, was it a, a humble party. Is that right?
1: yeah humble ventures um their humble brag they called it at south by southwest
0: so so i didn't actually know what it was um i don't know if he's a mutual friend of ours do you know chris denson do you know uh, you know
1: i don't think so
0: okay so he actually invited me and then i showed up and i thought that it was just a party at the like i thought like people were just at the four seasons i didn't know it was an official party <laughs> and then there were a bunch of really lovely uh, people in humble shirts, one of which who introduced us when he, um, learned what this podcast was about. And I was telling him that one of the main things that made me start this podcast was just how ridiculous it is that, uh, the average person doesn't know what it takes to get a, uh, I don't know, just doesn't know anything about civics in general. And that's kind of wild because it's, what impacts our lives a lot
1: yeah definitely i mean it's one of those serendipitous moments that happen at south by southwest right where you're having a conversation with some with somebody that i know about a topic that is of interest to both of us and then boom an introduction is made and you know a month later we're we're sitting here having a conversation so um, totally. one of the one of the great things about south by definitely
0: it is one of the few events and social situations that i don't feel weird talking about yeah projects because I know that's what we're all there to do and that we're all there because we have projects whereas some social situations I'm like I really don't want to talk about this because everybody's just looking to take like sometimes you go somewhere and you're like oh everyone's just here to ask for favors (laughs) like there's yeah so South by is uh special and unique in that way so um I would love to jump in and talk about, cause I know I sent you kind of like the scaffolding of um, sort of just the various things I would love to chat with you about. And I dug up a quote from you that I really love that I think um, for listeners will help establish sort of your mission. If it isn't clear already. Um, you said, "I want to create a company that builds products that fix democracies, products that address transparency, corruption, lack of civic engagement, and distract or dist- and distrust in the news and media surrounding politics." Um, and I really love that because it makes it super clear. Do you? St- I mean, I have to Is that still true?
1: <laughs> that is that is still true. I need to. Can you send me that quote? I remember saying it, but I need to like make sure I, I like have it written down somewhere so I can. <laughs> keep using it but um but that's definitely true that's that's what kind of wakes me up every morning um and keeps us going and, and like you take a step every single day to to kind of realize that that vision and that mission but that is still true and it, and it has been true for a while
0: definitely and and I guess what because you know there's a lot of people in this world starting companies and a lot of them uh do little to nothing to impact the world around us in a way that's like uh socially related and stuff what is it that drove you to focus on uh this sort of product that definitely makes an impact on this country and um the world because I know when you're you said in like your five-year plan that you want to expand to did you have a number of other countries or did you say you want to expand to other countries I can't remember
1: uh, we we have a number. I won't, dis- I won't talk about the number, um, okay. but we do have a number that we that we want to expand to. But what what kind of led to me starting this company, Civic Eagle? Um, I was born in Nigeria, and Nigeria is a great country. Uh, we have a lot of issues in Nigeria, but ended up immigrating to the United States when I was six with my family. Grew up in Minnesota um and spent a lot of time kind of like in both cultures right nigerian culture and then also obviously you know being being an american as well and the thing that you realize very quickly is that every country has its set of political issues primarily around transparency and corruption Mm. um and um the united states is no less subject to that than nigeria Um, and and what I wanted to do was figure out a way, like, how can you combat those types of things, the things that kind of prevent democracies from reaching their full potential? How can you combat those things? Um, what can, what can I do? And I love entrepreneurship. I love technology. And we all have like kind of a role to play in the world and a role to play in life. Um, but it should be bigger. That role should be bigger than yourself, right? It should be, it should lead to some bigger mission or vision that you have on how you want to impact the world, um, and help people. And for me, given what I'm interested in around entrepreneurship with technology, and as well as what I believe, why I'm here on earth, I wanted to apply those interests to try to solve the types of things that I saw that limit democracies from, from reaching their full potential. Um, so yeah, so it's really that, that kind of like, duality that I live every single day of being a, I'm a dual citizen, a Nigerian citizen, as well as, as a US citizen. Um, being an American, being a black American, being an, an African immigrant, there's, there's all of these different cultural um, roles that I play and, I'm, and, the, and circles that I move with, that i move in, and that impacts the way that I look at at how countries should better support their citizens and their residents and, and, their, and their people in general.
0: That's great. And I mean, and what you're doing also does sort of the um, other responsibility in that relationship, which also helping citizens support the country, because I think, you know, most people presumably are voting, assuming that their vote is like they're voting with good intention from their perspective. Um, And similar to, uh, God, there was just a bill passed that TurboTax and Intuit were like funding around taxes that don't allow you to file digitally um, because obviously it's in their best benefit. But if, and I don't even know what the branding around that was, right? But if it if that was something that people knew super upfront, like these are the companies funding it, which should be a red flag to any person anyways, when there's a bunch of corporate dollars being thrown into any sort of political advertisement. But then to go like, oh, this means that I now have to use TurboTax or Intuit and pay for their services. And I can't file digitally through the government ever if I do it on my own. Um, so yeah, it just enables citizens also to then have a better understanding of what they're voting on because um, the wording is really tricky. That's, that's really awesome. And I, I'm always so fascinated about what it is in people's child childhoods and upbringings and everything that make them prioritize. Like, I'm not going to wait until I'm successful to give back, but like my success, like what how I make money will also positively contribute to the world around me, um, which is kind of how I've always thought. Is like I don't want to just do stuff. And then, you know, maybe volunteer a few times a year and be like, I've done my <laughs> my thing. And there's been there's been a lot of company ideas that I've started in my head and gone like, oh, that'll make a bunch of money. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, but think of all the waste that will create in the world. Like, I can't do it because it's not socially responsible.
1: Yeah, I think we're seeing a paradigm shift where like the companies that are being created now, um, you know, the startup, the tech company that are being that are being created now have some sort of like social mission that they're trying to solve. Right. And it's not always evident, but it comes out. Right. And there's always a narrative around it. Um, I mean, even look at ride sharing. I mean, there's a lot of there's there's pros and cons to it. And when we can get into the details of of what it, what the data says in, in terms of the claims that some of the ride sharing companies um, make. Um, but they're—I mean, what they talk about to you know in public and in the media is that they're trying to reduce carbon emissions. They're trying to make transportation easier in urban areas and in densely populated areas, and making places accessible um, to people all over the world. Um, so there's always some component to it, and that's that's a shift from the early 2000s, like you know the dot-com bubble and and, and even the mid-2000s, where it's like now if you're starting a company, you need talented people. And in order to get talented people, you damn sure better make sure that you're solving a problem that they care about, that the world cares about, that, that and people want to be involved in that. We care about that. So the entrepreneurs that are starting companies, you know, we care about solving actual problems. And then the people, the talented people that we recruit to join our company are interested in solving important, challenging social problems. Um, so I think that's what, what you're talking about is, is 100% accurate.
0: How much of that God, well, I guess that sort of leads me to my next question because I'm just thinking about, um, I don't know as much about uh, the dot .com era, like certainly not as much as I do with the era that we're in now that I encounter every day. But it, it makes me wonder how much of that there's like more VCs presumably involved, like that's a more normal term versus companies used to be someone just starting a company. I'm so interested in the factors in that, but that does lead me to my next question. You know, part of being a co-founder and CEO is getting funding. How has that been for you? And also, if you could share where where Civic Eagle is at with funding, that would be helpful for context.
1: Yeah, so we've raised almost six hundred thousand dollars. That was just a pre-seed round, um, and then now gearing up to raise our seed round, um, probably like before the end of the year, quarter three, quarter four, something like that. Um, we're currently going through TechStars, the the startup accelerator, the tech accelerator, um, and we graduate in a few weeks. And on the heels of that, we'll start actually like looking at our fundraising strategy and executing on it, and that type of thing. Um, but funding. I mean, don't don't get it twisted while while entrepreneurs and um, like early employees care a lot about the mission and the vision of the company and making sure you're solving an actual problem. Um, VCs can care less. Like Let's just call let's just Let's be honest about it. Like it's nice that it's a nice to have. It's not a, it's not a necessary thing for your company to have. They care about you know three things um, when, excess, when evaluating a company. One is the team. I like, guess the team talented enough to do it. I'll pull off what they say they're going to pull off. Two is the market is the market big enough, and three is how fast are you growing, right? So unless you have those three things, they don't give a damn about what problem it is that you're actually solving because the problem will be inherent in how fast you're growing. If you're going fast, then means you're solving some problem that people that people or companies organizations care about. Um, so for us, you know, it's gr- it's always great to have that that conversation with investors and say, hey, this is why we're passionate about solving this problem. This is why this problem is so big around. Um, and for us, we're, we're helping organizations have easier access to legislative and regulatory information so that they can make changes and decisions quicker. Uh, but really highlighting how big the problem is, how big the market is, and then like how fast we're growing. And right now we're growing almost 30% month over month. So how fast we're growing to highlight the fact that people want access to our software to be able to do these, to do these things. Um, so we, we raised that pre-seed round. We've, we've gotten a lot of interest as we gear up towards our seed round. Um, and, and, we're, and we'll go from there. But it wasn't easy. I will say that. So kind of the backstory of Civic Eagle, uh, we started a company in late 2015, and we didn't raise a dime until 2018. So we started a company um, with a completely different product than what we started building, so than what we have recently started building and, and selling. Um, we really focused on a B2C mobile application that helped constituents around the United States um connect with their lawmakers right and hold them accountable and there are, there are a lot of apps now that do that but we were kind of one of the first ones to really to really go into into the space um with a native mobile application on iOS and on Android and going back to like investors right they didn't care that we didn't raise any money with that mobile application because we weren't generating revenue um the growth rate from a revenue perspective was non-existent because we weren't generating any revenue mm-hmm. uh, it was a niche space the market size they didn't believe was there in terms of how we, we plan to monetize um and quite frankly like african-american entrepreneurship entrepreneurs in the startup field were very low it's a low funding um per, a small percent of a, a small percentage of us actually get funded so when we made the pivot and we said hey in really early 2018 we, we made a decision to attack the problem from a different perspective right we, we we talked about like what our mission is right transparency um accountability but it doesn't that doesn't that's not limited to constituents right like organizations also have to be able to have access to political information and accessible but they have the money to pay for that right there's an actual business that can be built on the back of that so when we made that decision, our very first, um, the very first time we actually talked about our pivot, was at a an event in two thousand and eighteen that Arlen Hamilton was at of Backstage Capital, and she she wrote us our first check as our very first pre-seed investor, and then we went on to raise you know another five hundred fifty thousand dollars plus after after that close to six hundred thousand um, for our pre-seed round and and have been going going on from there and, and close some great customers um, as well, but it was really like. You know, those three things, like we're still solving the problem that we want to solve, right? We're still on the same mission. We still have the same vision, Um, but we changed the business model, right? We made a pivot and we attacked it from a, from a different way, a way that was scalable, that had a big enough market, and that would facilitate growing really quickly. Still the same team, just the last two we changed.
0: That's amazing. And what a great advocate to have. Arlen is so incredible. I'm a big fan of hers and I my my dad teaches MBA courses and he told me he's like he's not a names guy like he's terrible with names and so I'm always second and third guessing what he's telling me because like I mean just as a a quick example our neighbors of like 25 years were moving and he, we were over there helping him. And then he pulled me aside and he goes, what are their first names again? And I was just like, dad. Like, I went on vacation with these people. like. <laughs> and he told me, he was like, yeah, one of my students works at a place called Backstage. And, and I was like, oh, my God, are you serious? Like, that's incredible. Did I, And then I was like asking all these questions. And then it turns out he, like, didn't have the name right. And, like, it wasn't the same thing at all. But I had my hopes up so high because I was like, Erlen's like a hero. (laughs) Um, That's that's really awesome. And so, I mean, pivoting is difficult and you have two co-founders, is that right? Correct. What kind of uh, alignment and research and did you guys have to, uh, did you all have to conduct your own research to get to that pivot or was there enough existing information from like any focus groups or conversations or anything online that you were able to use?
1: Yeah, the thing about a pivot is that it happens happens really slowly like you just start moving in a direction and then all of a sudden you say this is you start running full speed it's like it's like you're going down it's like running and then um typically when people think about a pivot it's like you're running and then then there's a fork in a road and you pivot and you you change course and you go into this other to to this other side Mm
0: -hmm. that's
1: not the way we experience the pivot and I don't think that's that's the way that most companies end up pivoting um how you end up pivoting is that you start getting data that changes your perspective on the thing that you're doing. And the more, more data you get, the more you start like kind of slowly turning your head in that other direction and you get more data and it turns you and you get more data and it turns you. Then at a certain point you realize you're facing this other way and you should start running that way. So the data that we kept getting was, was coming from organizations that were interested in using our B2C app in a way it wasn't built to be used right so we we built the app to be used for constituents but the organizations were trying to find a way to tap into it as like actual entities to to, because we had some legislation on there as well so you can look at bills um the constituents could look that could look at bills and then um hit up their lawmaker to talk about that bill so they wanted to use it because we had we had basically aggregated all of these bills at the state level Uh and they were like that's like we want we want access to that. Yeah. So those conversations would keep coming up. It'd be you know maybe it'd come up once and be like, well, we don't really do that. And then you know a month later it comes up twice. And then several months later it's like somebody else. And you like, so we we came to upon like, okay, this B 2 C thing isn't working. We've burned a bunch of money, like a lot of our savings, a lot of our time. I mean, it was it was coming up on three years or two years plus that we've been working on it, and um, we were just like we can't keep doing this, right? like you yeah. can't it's just not working, like no matter how passionate we are about this, so you know, I made the decision after after getting some counseling from one of my um one of my friends that you know just kind of sit down with some of the people that with the organizations that have been like contacting you about stuff and see if you can modify the the app to help them yeah right like is there not so that was that was the plan like okay, the app that we have right now doesn't hundred percent work for you. We're, we've been focused on working for constituents. How can, we, how can we make this work for you? So we spent like a little bit of time, maybe like an hour with like some of these organizations that so, had shown interest. And what we ended up finding out was like, it wasn't the app, it was the, we identified a problem that they had that they thought the app could help solve. And then we just went down the rabbit hole of like figuring out what were all the tangently related problems that they were having with that core problem of, we just want, we want access to aggregated legislative information, right? Like they don't have easy, they didn't have easy access to that. And there were all these subsidiary problems that we just kept discovering over like months of time. And then we arrived and we started doing empathy interviews and we just basically arrived at the decision of like, Hey, like there's something here that people are willing to pay us for. Like, let's start really building that, that product out. And, and, and And, that is the pivot, right? Like (laughs) that was the pivot. So it wasn't like all of a sudden, you know, you wake up and you say, this is the direction we're going in. It's like just this kind of like slow turn. Um, uh, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, 90 degrees away or 180 degrees away from what you were doing before.
0: One thing that I love about that is like the willingness and sort of, I guess it's a form of, (laughs) a form of Uh, humility and being humble, but also is sitting down with people who are using or want to use your product and then talking to them about all of their other problems. Um, One thing I've experienced a lot across a variety of companies that I've worked with um, is just almost this fear of showing people like, hey, we're humans and have questions and want to understand your business better. And then just making assumptions about what clients or potential clients want. And so I think it's so important um, that you and your team did that. And, you know, when you're talking about doing um, just various different types of interviews, it makes me wonder, like, did any of you have background in those types of conversations and in conducting, I guess, like focus groups? um, Or was this sort of like your first try this kind of thing like what what prepared you all to be ready to do that in such a collaborative way
1: so we had so there were two programs that i think helped me kind of um facilitate and a focus group or empathy interview group you know kind of like doing some design thinking type things around um with that conversation that we had with those organizations um, one event was called the Black Founders Exchange, which is in Durham, North Carolina, every year, and that was a great event. That and a great program, and that helped a lot. Like learning how to do empathy interviews, interviewing like folks, and really diving into the problem. We had never done that before. And then the other program that I did that preceded that one actually was um, an entrepreneur in residency program with Code Twenty Forty, and both like doing both of those is kind of what. When I look back, like that is, those programs helped provide the knowledge, information, and the wherewithal to like, say we need to have a conversation with these organizations and then actually be able to facilitate it in a way that dug into the problem that we that we then identified that we needed to solve, right? So um, we didn't have experience like doing any of that. Like no, nobody in our team has, has conducted focus groups or, empathy interviews or interview potential customers and done design thinking or anything like that but and we didn't even know to do that right like there was no like hey you like this is something that you should do as a startup like it's it's more of like a new age thing now like 2016 and beyond where people are really doing that um and have like material on, on it online um but those two programs like they were like yo like this is this is how you figure out if you have something right like This is how you figure out if you're solving a problem. This is how you figure out if you can build a business around a problem that you're solving. So because we had that that knowledge and then we also had the tools and the tactics to actually like go forth and do that, that's what ended up helping us kind of discover what was going on with these organizations and then start building a product to solve it.
0: That's awesome. Um, So you've mentioned a few different programs that you and your team have been a part of. Um, Techstars, and then the two that you just mentioned as well. Uh, as CEO, is it your part of your role to be applying for these programs?
1: Yeah, you know, people people sometimes ask me like, what do you do as CEO? Because we have like a technical lead on our team, a CTO. We have a product and design person, um, one of our co-founders, we have a strategy person. So they're like, what do you do? Like, what does a CEO do? And I'm like, look, there's two things that you have to do as CEO. You need to make sure that um, your team has all the resources it needs to succeed. So you're the resource provider. So Which you're the person that's-
0: funding, is that right? Yeah, that
1: means getting funding. That means finding early early customers. That means building relationships to be able to do all of that stuff. So you you are the resource provider. Mm-hmm. Right? So my number one job is making sure that we have the resources to succeed. And that's followed up by making sure that, and it's not a, a one, two, but the two things. The second thing is, making sure that we're aligned on mission and vision all the time. Like we are always on the same page. We know what the destination is. Um, in the one month increment, three month increment, six month increment, one year increment, we're always aligned. Um, so yes, when it comes to programs, like that is a resource. That is my job. Like I find those programs. Um, I apply to those programs. I try to find the people that are running those programs and meet with them and interface and have those conversations. But those are the two things that I do all the time. Now there, there's, obviously like a bunch of stuff around that. Right. But be a resource provider, make sure you have everything you've got and then make sure that, and then making sure that we're aligned on, on what we're doing, our goals, our tasks, our mission, our vision, everything.
0: So that leads me to a few more questions. Um, how do you like sort of what is your decision matrix for deciding what programs to apply for? Because there's so many out there and applications, um, I don't know. They take up a lot of time. So I guess it's a two part question. One, what does your sort of mind map decision matrix look like for those? And then part two is like, um, what have you learned and sort of like developed as tools for yourself to make the application process less painful?
1: Um, My advice is pre-revenue apply to any and everything. Anything that comes up, like you should be spending um, a bulk of your time as the founder ceo of your company applying the programs because programs is what's going to help you get those resources right um it's a lot easier to be able to meet with people if you're going through a program that's already is already connected right you have that network effect already built in that's one of the big benefits of a program so i think pre-revenue if you're i would say work on your product get an mvp but then once you have your mvp if you're pre-revenue apply to as many programs as you, as you possibly can. I almost think it's indiscriminate. Um, if it makes any tangible sense, apply. Um, same thing with pitch competitions, just apply. Once you're post revenue, you're, you're generating revenue and you're just trying to find the product market fit and figure out like, what are the, what are the, what are the levers of what's going to, the levers that's going to drive your business, um, before you scale, all those types of things. Um, then you have to be really picky about the programs, right? Because you don't have the time. You're building a business now. You're no longer build, building a product. There's a difference between building a product and building a business. Once you post revenue, you're, you're build, you you have to start worrying about building a business. So that means your time is allocated much differently. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, like it's not about it's not a, about programming. It's about the right strategic partners. It's about finding the right people, uh, building the right relationships. Um, so the decision matrix that I use. Right now, like as we, because now we're post revenue and, and we're really trying to build a business, is um, more about strategic alignment. Right? Um, are you networked with either the investors or the customers we're looking to interact with? Right within programming. If it's if it's an event, thinking about the same thing. Like, can I generate leads at that event? Um, can I generate investor leads at that event? Like everything from uh at this point is what is being used to build a business. Now, there's a, there's another component obviously around like building goodwill and, you know, like I have a speaking engagement next Wednesday at a at a high school, like that's not to get investors or or to or to uh or for customers. That's because like I wanna help kids like look at other pathways to success other than, you know, being, you know, sports and, and music. Right. Um so there's a whole you know, that's a whole nother component as well. But when it comes to building your business, like post Post revenue, it's those two things. Like, will this thing that I am spending time on lead to customers and or investors? And if it's not those two things, it goes on the it goes on the back burner, and I can't do them, or I won't apply to them.
0: That is super helpful. It makes a lot of sense. And one of the, one of the things that I love. Um, so I listen to a lot of interviews. It's, uh, I listen to Tim Ferriss a ton. I listen to like and Freakonomics, or like and Planet Money. I think th- those three podcasts in terms of like business-related podcasts I listen to the most and then there's a bunch of other ones too. Um, but one of the things that when it came to this podcast that was really important to me was talking to people who are still making their story because when when you have people on like um, Katarina Fake or Satya Nadella, they're really great, but like their stories have already been solidified. And like, they're not as close to the work. And so, one thing that's really awesome to me about talking to somebody who definitely has accomplishments and has learned a lot is that they're closer to the like having learned a lot than the like all that is in the distant past. And now, you know, they're sort of in a different world where their story is already fully baked. And so, the recognition of like what you looked for, you know pre-revenue versus how you had to shift that because you're if I remember correctly I think I read an interview that was done within the last year and it looks like pretty quickly after your pivot you started generating revenue is that correct
1: yeah within probably like five months after we made the decision we built out like an MVP we were like we're charging for everything no matter what now so like even access to the MVP we charged for and it was just like a lightweight aggregation of all legislation in the state. And we like, we have to make money. Um, yeah. So yeah, pretty, pretty quickly.
0: How uh, rewarding though, to then generate revenue fairly quickly, because that doesn't happen for a lot of companies for a long time. And especially since you've been working at it for several years at that point, mm-hmm. um, that must have felt really good. And sort of like, I guess, just supporting the decision that you and your team made
1: um it probably did i don't remember a feeling of it feeling good i just i think that i honestly i have a complex where um i don't it's not i don't think it's a good thing but i very rarely celebrate anything
0: yeah Um, me too
1: (laughs) yeah like it like it like it it happened like i'm pretty sure you should like be really excited when like the first money like whether it's an investor like writing you the first check you should be pretty excited about that really you should be excited about when somebody pays you for something you created like that's dope really and I don't remember feeling like excited about it I just remember being like we need like 100 more of these
0: (laughs) yeah well do you think well I'll share where I know mine comes from and tell me if you feel the same way I know for me like when that kind of thing happens I'm like yeah that's why i did this job you know what i mean like that's why i did this work was like i'm not surprised like i wouldn't have spent my time like in this situation the way i'd be thinking is like I wouldn't have spent my time building something if I didn't think it was going to make money.
1: Yeah, I think I think the way, to, yeah, like definitely. I think the way of looking at it to kind of put it succinctly is you tend not to celebrate when you meet your expectations, right? Yeah. Like unless something like far exceeds your expectation, it's really hard to celebrate meeting your expectation. If your expectation was, I need to get to $5,000 a month recurring by like the end of the quarter or something, um, and you meet those expectations, like even if it's the first money you have coming in, you met your expectations yeah. right like so if you, so it's like it's hard to i think to your to your point, yeah, like this I was supposed to do this like this was this was these this was the goal, like and celebrating a goal is not the same thing as as celebrating um far exceeding that goal, right, or far exceeding your expectations
0: a surprise like it's yeah. a different thing when it's a surprise, and I feel bad because um. In working relationships, I've had people, because I do, um, part of what I do is a lot of like digital strategy for companies, especially as it pertains to like social media and influencer activations. And I've had um, colleagues before go like, oh, that was really great. And in my head, I'm like, all we did was meet our goal. Like, that's not great work. That's just, I did what I said I would do. (laughs) Like, I'm not... I'm not impressed by it. Like, it, I don't know. Yeah, I have a hard time with it. And I think, but maybe that's also what, uh, I don't know. There's there's perks to all of it. I think it helps you keep your, uh, your focus clear when you're not caught up in stuff like that, um, which leads me to my second question from what we had talked about that led to the last question, <laughs> which you were talking about um, staying aligned with your co-founders. So like with what frequency do you and the team have uh, like alignment check-ins for lack of a better phrase?
1: Um, we, we we do our stand-ups once a week. Uh, we don't do daily stand-ups. We, we, we're a distributed team. So we spend a lot of time communicating digitally on Slack, really mainly on Slack, very rarely on email. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do a once a week stand up and then if there's anything that we need to meet on ad hoc we have that conversation uh, i actually want us to get better with alignment um within our like short-term sprints like our one-month alignment because things move so quickly excuse me things move so quickly at a startup that um, priorities can like can fluctuate for example we had a a, a customer that wants to expand Their relationship with us. I had a conversation as as kind of the lead salesperson on the team yesterday, and it kind of completely throws off our alignment on product development. Mm -hmm. So you know that that's like a quick thing that we have to have a conversation about. So the alignment isn't just about mission and long term goal and all that kind of stuff. It's like I mean we're talking about daily alignment, you know, weekly alignment because things change so rapidly and you can't you, you if you're not if you're not really like tethered together, you can't go as fast as you need to go. So like from a tactical perspective, we just make sure we're in one, constant communication. And then two, if something comes up, like you have to talk about it with the team, yeah. right? Like if, if product development, if something is happening with with the product, that needs to be something that's that's talked about with sales and with your marketing initiative, like understanding that everything is intertwined at this early stage and even long-term, like having that, having making sure everybody has that clear understanding makes us focus on how are these things interacting with each other so um not a ton tactically there but kind of more so from a principality perspective just just following that
0: yeah and from a previous interview i read that you well the civic eagle team also has a product advisory board Mm -hmm. um that you meet with once a month and then go through like the product roadmap, how did you select that board and, or was that like, how did that board come to fruition?
1: So we knew that we needed to continuously test any iterations of the product before we released it. And testing something like internally is not the same thing as like having people that would, like the actual practitioners um, using the product. So that's why we wanted to put together you know, that product advisory board. Now, the way we selected the people where they were just from our early stage customers, people that already believed in what we were doing were interested kind of fit our, our our model user and model customer. Um, and we just reached out to them and just said, hey, well, we would love for you to be part of this product advisory board. I think some of them are honored by it. We're honored by it as well. It's very helpful. Um, the candidates of it is, is, is pretty good too. So whenever our chief product officer and, and also co-founder, uh, Yemi, Um, If she has an idea on what she wants to modify, change, iterate on, she runs it past the product advisory board. Once we launch something, before we deploy it to production for everybody, we run it past the product advisory board. So they kind of are kind of just a great filtration system um, and are experts in what they do to make sure the right thing is getting down to the, you know, at the right time. Um, So I, I think it's necessary probably i wish we would, have, we would have started doing it last year we didn't start doing it until this year mm-hmm. uh, but i think even at the beginning of of at the ideation stage of this new thing we were going to do in the pivot would have been to to put together a product advisory board uh, and, you, and i mean your early stage customers are kind of de facto product advisory board because they'll let you know right like, mm-hmm. like they're your first handful of customers uh, but making it more formal i think would have been helpful as well
0: interesting that's awesome so uh, one of the other questions I had for you in all this is how do you, because as CEO, I mean, I, I really like, there's a guy named Safi and I can't remember his last name, but I really liked how he split up sort of the different roles within an organization. And you have like the, what he calls like the artists and the soldiers and the artists who have like the innovative ideas um, and want to try new things and stuff like that. And as CEO, I imagine, especially at a, you guys have a team of is five or six is team of six team of six okay and so uh, I imagine a lot of what you do is both artist and soldier um how do you split up those responsibilities um between like the thinking and the doing um because I don't know, shifting, shifting, like what part of your brain you're using is hard. And so I imagine you're not like an hour of this, an hour of that. Um, How do you split that up and manage that for yourself?
1: So I I disagree with that framework, the artist and the soldier framework, actually, I think you need everybody at the earliest at the early stage, Uh everybody needs to be vision setting Or the CEO is the vision setter, but everybody needs to be vision setting, right? Like it's an ongoing process. Everybody needs to be doing so everybody needs to be the artist, everybody needs to be the um the soldier so Mm -hmm. i disagree with that framework now that did make me think about a framework that i've worked on around how to build an early stage founding team or at least an early stage team like that core management team Mm -hmm. um and the framework that i use um is the four h's hipster hacker homie and the hustler and the hustler is the ceo like that's got to be the person that goes out and makes the sacrifices to get the job done it's the Mm -hmm. it's the wit guy or the wit gal like the whatever it takes person right like I played college football and we always we had wit points right who like did whatever it took to make the play Mm -hmm. right make the play happen like sacrificing sleep as you see with the bags under my eyes right now (laughs) if it's if it's you know not taking a salary where everybody when everybody else gets one because you're running low on cash like if it's Hustling to make sure that you get you pull those relationships off and you'll be like the hustler is typically the CEO and so and sometimes it's more than one person but you have to have that person that type a aggressive person assertive person on your team um the hipster is that like more artistic person nowadays you have to have somebody that is actually like creative as a designer can build a really beautiful product mm-hmm. um you have to have that person on your team for for us that's Yemi. Um, she's our hipster. She's a co-founder, designs all the product, understands the space because she used to be a policy analyst in, at the New York State Assembly. Um, you gotta have that person on your team. Then you have to have the hacker, right? The tech. If you're building a tech product, you can do it without having a, without having a tech co-founder or without having a tech lead, but it's it's not advised, right? Like you want to have that person that can put together, a, you know, the product and actually build and code. And then to me also, the fourth one that people don't talk a lot about is the insider, the strategist, right? That's the homie, the person that has the connections to get early customers because your early customers are Mm relationship-based, right? Particularly when you're an underrepresented founder that's selling to the corporate space or to the enterprise or B2B space, like you don't have an uncle that's the VP of innovation at Best Buy or something, right? Like you don't have those relationships built when you're 25 out of college, um, or maybe not in, maybe didn't go to college and you grew up in a specific neighborhood and now you're trying to build this product that can, it, it, it doesn't happen like that for us. So you've got to find somebody that has got that inside knowledge, particularly for those, for that first year of sales, because most of that is going to be relationship based. And we have somebody in our team that, that, fits that homie profile. And that's Shantera, right. That's that homie hookup, right. Like the person that can, that can hook it up and make that happen. And it could be one person that does all four, but you have to like, it's very rare or it's two two co-founders and they're mixed in between all four of those kind of archetypes. Um, but the framework that I use that I, that I tell, um, you know, folks that are trying to, to, to start tech companies is like, if you fit one of those, you need to find somebody or more or multiple people that can hit the other three, right? Um, or if you fit two of them, find another like. But you need to make sure for all four of those archetypes are represented, particularly if you're doing a B two B company, but also uh, for B two C.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then within that, I know one thing that we talked about ahead of this was, um, and I bring this up because of the like the, the relationship part of that, right. That Shantara provides. Um, there's obviously from doing a quick search on civic Eagle, you definitely have like an ample amount of, um, media coverage and public relations. How much of that is your job? Have you all worked with an agency Is some of that, like, is that are getting those sort of interviews and speaking opportunities? Is that a joint effort? Um, how, how do you, like fold that into all of your other responsibilities.
1: Yeah, we don't we don't do that. Like we don't we don't do we don't we don't put we put literally zero effort, less than zero effort into PR media, anything like that. It's bad. I don't think it's a good thing. Go ahead.
0: Everything's been outreach. Like everyone's reached out to you. That's so great. Well
1: Yeah everything's been outreach.
0: And timing wise, like you really could not have, you know, picked a better time for this sort of because I mean Prior to the 2016 election, I feel like there was such a sense of sort of complacency with like general public during the Obama administration, um, and there would be spikes around, like, you know, really notable tragic events, but um, in terms of people's everyday engagement with civics or even, like, caring to get out and vote, like, I feel like I knew more people who were going to protests and marches that those weren't necessarily tied to something to vote on in the near future. So like there were a lot of people I know at least who were out marching and protesting and in, engaged in activism, but not, m- m- those same people oftentimes were like, oh yeah, there's nothing I really care about that's on the ballot right now because yeah. it's related to the protests and marches. So timing wise, like uh, like it's perfect for media NPR because it's something that everybody, you know, needs to have already been talking about, but is now like actively talking about like, how will we do better and support organizations in doing better?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I, I 100% agree. Like it has been more so about the external factors, right? Like like, like you put it, that are like helping with the media and the PR, mm-hmm. Um like especially like you said after the twenty sixteen election and with the young people, um, I mean not just young people, with people just you know trying to find their voice and figure out what they care about and how to talk about what they care about, even if it's not on the ballot, right? That type of thing. So it's um it's been it's been nice it's been pleasant to have some of some of that. Um, in the future, we'll probably try to do more you know paid media and like aggressively try to get more press because that that will help with sales um, and with fundraising. But if there is one thing that we're really, really bad on, at, at like as a team, it is like try like sharing articles. Like we don't blog, we don't tweet. We're not really on Instagram, uh, or like we 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 are not like a very good front-facing like persona on what we do. And I think a lot of that it just models my personality as CEO. Like. It's a, when I look, when I examine it and analyze it, it's like I don't do that. I don't have a. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter. Um, I have a Facebook profile, but like I don't really use it. Well, you um, are
0: on Twitter. Just I think you've tweeted like ten times a year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, when was the last time I tweeted? Usually, what ends up happening is somebody because I have the. I don't have Twitter on my phone. Uh huh. But I had like back in the day, like like you would get a text message when somebody like at you. Uh-huh. so I'll see like I, like somebody sent me a couple tweets this morning actually so and I can't read the whole tweet because it's only like a certain amount of, I think it's still the same character limit from like in the text so like if it's something that's really fascinating or something or like it's like a, something that I think is of most important for me to respond to, like then I'll like go to twitter.com on my computer <laughs> <It's like laughs> and I'll responding. respond to it and I'll respond to the tweet and yeah that happens about like you know 10 to 12 times a year yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's about it.
0: That's but, uh, well, yeah. And I mean, in all fairness, too, like your audience, like that is not a bi- business building activity outside of perhaps um, being active on LinkedIn for Civic Eagle. Um, and that is true. Yeah, it's just not for that audience. I mean, I have spent a lot of my career doing social strategy. And I am amazed at the amount of people who prioritize building a social following over building a good product. Mm. And um, to be quite frank, like clients like that, I mean, if the money's right, I'll take it. I'm not above it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't be like, ah, that's, you guys are pushing for something I don't recommend, but you know, here's my rate and here's my actual recommendation. And if, and if they want to do what they want to do, So uh, like I'll build out a strategy for them and be like here go ahead Like if that's really what you want and you're refusing My actual recommendation, that's fine but like There's just a lot of companies that don't need to be that active there because it's not a business building activity like for certain audiences Um, And I imagine a lot of your audience is not super active. I mean, they're probably personally active on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but that's not where their work hours and stuff are coming from, and where they're researching um, different companies. So, whatever, you know. <laughs> like, I mean, if you, when you know that's not where your like most valuable efforts are going, and time is finite, like
1: exactly.
0: Yeah, to each their own in that department, I think. Um,
1: yeah, and and I mentioned like gathering resources earlier um as like a core ceo responsibility and then you know also mentioned right making sure we're aligned the the resources thing is not just about gathering resources it's about how you manage those resources Mm -hmm. because they are finite to your point your time is limited Mm -hmm. your money is limited the attention span of folks is limited so not just like the the acquisition of resources but where you really like where you separate a level ceos from like b level ceos right is not from the acquisition of those resources but how are they managing them like how are you like optimizing and maximizing those resources mm-hmm. to me that's the most important thing like that's when like if there's a founder i'm like yo like, you do a lot with a little or you'd understand how to manage it like that's all right, this person is going to be a really really dope founder and CEO. And that's what I'm trying to do, right? Like I'm like I'm trying to be a really, really great CEO. Um, so it's more about like, yeah, do a good job getting them, do an even better job managing them.
0: I love that. That's really awesome. Um so I'm looking at some of my questions here just to see because I I know there's a big chunk I haven't covered off on. But before we move on to that one, I want to make sure that like all of the day-to-day stuff, um, because the secondary part of this is like part day-to-day stuff, part more personal. Um, So it looks like we've covered off a lot on everything else that I sent over. So how do you... I mean, being a CEO is hard, (laughs) and there's a lot of work, and it taps into a lot of energy. Um, How do you, like manage your own sort of like wellness for lack of a better word and um like take care of yourself while you're doing this and not drive yourself into the ground
1: Uh, i think i do a shit job at it so like it's not (laughs) something i do i'm not a perfect ceo or like i do i think i do a really shit there's one thing i do a really bad job of i think it's that i get stressed um i don't talk about it Mm -hmm. um uh I will run myself into the ground. Mm-hmm. I don't really care or talk about it. I don't think it's healthy. The one thing I do not sacrifice though is my physical health, <laughs> <laughs> so I will work out I want to say I mean like physical fitness i like work out almost every day uh, probably at least five days a week if not not every day mm-hmm. um
0: which is a part of wellness. Like it is a part
1: know, of wellness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My physical fast. fitness is a part. Is definitely part of it.
0: It. I mean, for me, if I don't work out every day, like I can't focus. Um, mm-hmm. I'm grouchier for sure. I have like a lot of restless energy, and I think that that is really an important factor in taking care. Because I was like, when you said that you don't really do that, I was like, sir, we've met. You're a fit person. Like, what do you mean? <laughs>
1: I'm, I guess I'm more so talking about like the the um, mental and like emotional wellness part, well, right? Like
0: totally, but I mean it's all connected. Like your physical yeah. wellness is part of your mental wellness, you know. So it's, I mean, it has like a very. Strong relationship because if you're not like I mean at the core of it. We are animals We're not meant to just like sit somewhere all day
1: yeah
0: and so it's not good for our health at all like our mind our cortisol levels all that stuff um, can get real wild if we don't like physically exert ourselves um, So and then when it so that's you know part of your own wellness and then what about like your personal relationships like how I know that um, I mean, we all have families and your, your family is like here, you know, cause we you're based in Minnesota, right?
1: Oh, so I live in Atlanta. We're distributed. Yes. So our company is headquartered in Minnesota. I live in Atlanta and the rest of our team is distributed amongst the Minnesota, Atlanta, Minis- me in Atlanta and then Minnesota and DC.
0: Okay. So how do you manage relationships? Like how do you and how does your family feel about all of this? Like, Were they supportive during the several years prior to getting funding? Um, how's that been?
1: Um, so my family, my parents have been really supportive. Um, they don't really understand what we do. Um, you know, and it's very, I will say that I am very impressed by my parents' support because, I mean, I don't know if you or, or, or your listeners know anything about Nigerian or West African immigrants. Um, but we are typically pushed towards being either doctors or pharmacists, something in the medical field. Yeah. So like the entrepreneurial path, like startup tech, it's risky, like only a uh, small, small percentage actually like make it into something. Uh, it was not, was not exactly, you know, the path that I think my parents would have, would have handpicked from me at, for me at birth. Mm-hmm. But um, I've always been like a hustler and an entrepreneur, like, for a long time so i think probably by the time i was like a middle schooler or, or high school kid they're like yeah, this kid's probably going to do something around business and and then they've been fine with it and supportive of it um and they see the news articles and you know and all that kind of stuff and my parents are proud of it like my dad used to cut up all of my high school and, and um like sports stuff and they were proud of me playing football and all that kind of stuff so it, it kind of res- like follows that um uh pathway in, 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 in wow. a sense to them where they're proud of the media attention and like that I'm doing something that they, that they find to be very cool and honorable and important. Uh-huh. Um, but it's also cool because they like, they can share it with their friends, right? Like, like they appreciate that, that aspect of it. And for, you know, when, when we started to, and for the years that we weren't funded, about half of the time I was consulting. So about half of the time of like for the two and a, two and a half years that we didn't have any money, um, I was basically bootstrapping by working and then putting the money that I made as a consultant back into the business. Mm-hmm. And, then, so that, and so that was about like half of the time for those two and a half years. The other half of the time, I was like, I don't want to consult. I want to focus on the company. And, and, it, and it literally like, would, would like go back and forth. Like it wasn't like six months and then six months. It'd be like two months and like three months. I'm like, I'm not going to consult. And like I'm, like, I'm running out of money. I got to consult again. <laughs> um, and during those downtimes, like my parents would let me borrow money um, even when they didn't have it, right? they would find ways to make sure like that uh, they could help me, right? and And I'd always try to find make make sure that I pay them back, but they've they've always been really supportive um financially, emotionally, spiritually, you know, religiously, just making sure that you know that, they, that they're always constantly praying for for success and 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 to make sure that I'm strong in the things that I'm doing. So I've been very appreciative of that. Um, and then I've recently engaged as well. Oh, and my fiance, thank you. Uh, well, I guess it's not recently. Like it was back in July, July twenty. Uh, is that recent?
0: It's. I feel like it's recent. It's not like. I mean, yeah, that's recent. But
1: by the way, for the audience, we're we're recording this this podcast in April two thousand and nineteen. So so you all can can let us know if if recent is is July two thousand and eighteen. Please. But relatively recent, July twenty eighteen. Um, we. I proposed, and we got engaged, and all of that. And, and my fiance, you know, when she was my girlfriend, with all this stuff going on, like she's been really supportive as well. She's actually one of the reasons we held the conversation with those organizations. It was see, her saying, "Like, don't give up. Like, do X, try this, try this." Mm-hmm. Um, even when it wasn't in her best interest, right? In terms of like how I could, you know, be a good partner with her and then spend time with her. Well, that, um, that is. So that's so been good. Great.
0: From, from my perspective, like, that is still – is in both of your best interests also because as someone's partner, like, you want them to be happy with their work and have what yeah. they want out of life. So, like, if that means that maybe they don't have time to spend with you as much or they're distracted for, like, the, the next year or two or whatever, it's, like, long-term-wise, if you know you want to be with that person mm-hmm. and that, like, this is the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, like – I imagine most people would be willing to go like, okay, well then yeah, you know, be busy and whatever for the next, like for the foreseeable future. But that means that then in the future, you're going to feel better about everything when you have like your company was successful, you know? And like, I don't know, it, it lays like a better foundation when like your partner is like feeling good about how they've spent several years of their life versus because that kind of stuff can really mess with somebody's ego when it doesn't yeah, work
1: that's true
0: and then then the other person has to deal with that ego
1: <laughs> yeah she definitely doesn't want to deal with that no, i promise nobody you. does sir i'm not an easy person to deal with already right. um so yeah so she but yeah you're 100 right she did it for us i'll let her know that <laughs>
0: <laughs> well and so because i was actually that is something that I do talk to guests about, especially guests who um, have been married for a while or have children is like, how do you maintain that relationship and keep your relationship healthy? Because that's, I mean, that to me is a a lot of like um, proactive work, at least for when I've been in relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when you're managing that with your own personal development and and personal health, and then also, like the health of your company, and your friendships. Like, how do you do that?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I.
0: For like being on the about certain things.
1: So I said again.
0: Are there any like tools or like mind? I guess like mindsets that you've developed for the for that that like, um, have changed over the years.
1: Um, I have been a very. I don't want to say bad friend, a very absentee friend mm. to um to a lot of my friends, right like my circle has shrunk tremendously mm-hmm. in terms of the people that I actually engage with on any sort of regular basis right like um and it's not something I'm like to me it's it's a necessity like it's not something that I'm proud of right, right. um but it's 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 not something that I'm upset about because there's no way putting in the amount of time I put in into what is essentially my baby, I have the time or the energy to engage with people on any sort of like relative, like regular basis. Totally. So like the circle end up becoming a lot smaller people that were your friends end up becoming more of your acquaintances. And then you have to just be comfortable with that because you're essentially saying like things have to give, right. You don't, you don't, you don't get it all when you become a founder, like you just don't. Mm-hmm. things you cut you cut things and one of those things you cut is the amount of people that you get to engage with and hang out with and talk to on a regular basis and go out with and go to happy like it just that this doesn't happen I mean I literally I mean my daily schedule is basically work out at six fifteen, and then I'm probably at WeWork or wherever I need to go by like nine o'clock and I won't go home until out, until I really feel like my dog needs to go back, go to the bathroom <laughs> because I got a camera um, in the house so I can check. And I'll be like, if she's sitting by the door, I'm like, all right, I need to walk home. And like, and then I'll be like, all right, well, I'll call it a night. Yeah. Sometimes that's sometimes if she's, if she's sleeping in the crate, I'll stay, I'll work until 10 or 11 o'clock or 12. Like it doesn't really bother. It doesn't, I have everything that I need at, at, at the co working space that I work out of and we're a distributed team. So it's like, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's not weird or anything. Um, and then the other part of that is that my fiance she's a consultant, so she's never in town.
0: No, oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> so like, I have nobody to go home to, like just right. my dog. Totally. So, so like, which is an, a a very convenient occupation for her to have, given you know how much I you know spend time in the office because she's not here. Like, you oh, know what I mean? Like, I only so see her on the weekends. Say like, that again.
0: I'm sure it works really well for both of you because yeah,
1: then- she's a super hard worker too.
0: Yeah. And that, that always helps because it it does make things feel more balanced. And then you Mm -hmm. have the other person, well, I guess both people, you know, um, then respect the other person's schedule because they understand, you know, why a text message might not have been answered right away or like, you know, why maybe that like good night phone call or text didn't happen because you just passed Mm -hmm. out, you know, and that, that level of understanding, um, as much as I think there's a lot of things in life that we can uh, empathize with if we have an experience firsthand, I find that there's people that I know have been super busy before, but the moment that they're bored, they expect me to like get back to them right away. <laughs> like, hey, your like how's it going? Text message was not of the utmost importance exactly. today or this week. Like yeah. the next time I. Uh, you know I'm stuck on because what I'll do is I mean right now I probably have like a hundred and plus unread text messages because I won't open a text unless I know I'm ready to respond
1: I'm the same way now yes that's a big like that that is empowering like being like I'm I'm doing something right now once I'm ready to respond I will be in control of the response in the situation right and I leave and I have my read receipts on so like I want you to see that I read it right like I don't care (laughs)
0: exactly and and i found that it holds me accountable for responding because if the read receipts are not on i will open it and i'll go oh yeah i'll get back to that
1: yep yep and yep because
0: there's not a blue dot i'll never revisit it like ever <laughs> ever ever
1: 100%
0: and so it's fascinating because yeah that is one of the few things that i've found that people just i think because there's also emotions and ego tied into it people have a hard time going like oh yeah they're busy it's fine like a lot of people take that stuff super personally um which bums me out because then they're going through some pain that is not personal and it's like and you know if you're close with somebody that's even harder and then you and your co-founders are also you've all you were friends with all of them prior to working together correct
1: i wasn't friends with them i just well actually um shantara i didn't i didn't know prior to starting Civic Okay. I started like experimenting with what we wanted, like with the thought, uh-huh. and would talk to people about it. And they were like, "You need to meet like several people." Are like, "You need to talk to Shantara. You need to meet Shantara." So Civic Eagle like brought like brought us together actually. But yummy, I knew before.
0: Okay, and so do you three have a way of um? So a previous guest, uh, Karen Oconquo. She shared because her and her co-founder were friends prior to starting Tonal. And one thing that I really liked that she shared was that they do all business, I think, like all business conversations through Slack or email, but mostly Slack, presumably. Um, And then any personal conversation gets moved to text. Do you all have a, a way of kind of separating things like that too, so that you know when you're contacting somebody like that it's, they know that it's like a, hey, how are you as a human kind of thing?
1: Um. Yes and no. So like most of our business communication happens on Slack and email. Um, if it's something that I'm like, I need you to prioritize, I will send a text. I'll be like, yo, like, so I will send business text messages. Like I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, <laughs> I don't run away from that. I am a very, I will admit I am a very demanding, leader and they let me know it and they're okay with it because they know like it's all in, in love and, and
0: yeah kindness and everything what's um, the weird question what's your sign
1: Aquarius
0: okay I was like I wonder <laughs> I, I was like we have enough in common that I was like I wonder if you're a Taurus and then I was like but I think you're a little bit more aggressive than I was so then, <laughs> I, was I was like maybe a Capricorn but I was wrong in
1: both yeah i will send them sex i mean we're all the one thing is like we have a pretty good relationship like friendships too That's but like you're making me think about the fact that i mean we we we're fun you know what i mean and i'm like we're, we're all friends and all that stuff but i i will say that 98 percent of our conversations through messaging when we're in person is all the laughs but 98 percent of our conversations in person um or sorry um over messaging is business related. So we're not out here like texting about like, you know, like fun stuff. I guess.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, also like you're a lean team, like that's expected that it would yeah. mostly be business. I just didn't know, you know, because also like there's different kinds of everyone operates differently within friendships. So I didn't know if maybe some of it was like oh we have these other things or like we have a bunch of mutual friends or whatever so mm. no that makes sense and i i like how you say we're fun that's like how like moms are like no it's fun
1: <laughs> when they're really not
0: <laughs> right, exactly i, I brunch
1: i guess i enjoy Um, the occasional mimosa um (laughs) um, no really really like the listeners need to know this we're actually because there may be some folks on it are like you know what maybe i should go look at working with civic eagle or something so i want you to know listener, if that's you if you if you have aspirations to join a an innovative tech startup that's helping solve you know issues of political transparency um we're fun we have fun I promise you you'll have a good time.
0: And I will say for Tan, from just having met Demola very quickly at the humble party that he is tr- he is being accurate and truthful and <laughs> I think We met, and, like, within 30 seconds, we were both, like, smiling and laughing, but also still talking about work-related things.
1: (laughs) I see that's us.
0: Yeah, and this whole time, it's not like this has been a super stern conversation. If it was, it wouldn't have lasted this long, because I'm not good at stern conversations. Like, I get completely uninspired by them. In fact, and I think you'll appreciate this anecdote, I almost didn't move forward with the therapist that I've been seeing for, like, however long it's been now, because in our first meeting, he like was a little bit too serious. And I was like, I can't sit here with an hour with someone that I can't like, have like a dark sense of humor. (laughs) I can't crack jokes about trauma. Like, I don't know if this is gonna work. (laughs) So um, and then in our second session, he laughed. And then I thought to myself, like, of course, he's probably not used to people in that first interview session of like, I want you to be my therapist for someone to be like, let's joke about like, <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, of course he wants me to take him seriously as a therapist. He can't be cracking jokes in there with me in this therapist.
1: He's probably, you know, playing it close to the vest a little bit, but.
0: Yeah, of course. But uh, yeah, so anyway, so that leads me to the question that I ask everybody, which um, is what is the behind the scenes? Like, what is something that you would want to hear the behind the scenes of in a future episode?
1: Um, I'm really interested. Like with a, I have you know I have four main passions, right? Business, um, politics, um, uh, civics, right? So not just politics, but like actually like governance and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sports. And I'm really like I kind of know, but but I'm really curious about the inner workings of, um, behind the behind the scenes of sports franchises, front offices. Right, like okay. general managers and the decisions that they make, and like, like what are what are, what are the like what's happened? Like for example, like a lot of folks may have heard about Magic Johnson quitting as the president of basketball operations at the Los Angeles Lakers. Like. What the hell ha- – like, I'm curious as to what What is? What does it look like in there? Like, what are the conversations that are happening? How do they analyze and evaluate players and talent? And then, what? like, what, what is the business engine? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. So if you can do a beh- behind-the-scenes – um, I know it's more behind-the-startups, but, like, a behind-the-scene of a sports franchise. I would uh, love that. that would be dope.
0: I would – yeah, that would be awesome. And, no, I mo- I don't actually – I think you're maybe one of very few startups that I've had on. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I mean, there was tonal and then there's a nonprofit happy period. Um, But I mean, I also had on my friend Kadar, who's the VP of an aluminum company. And we talked about like how aluminum gets from the ground to also like in our kitchens but it's also used in landing gear and like what all the machinery involved in that so um the episodes are pretty broad and and they had to be when I was making this so my my last podcast was all about sort of it was all about the fashion industry um and then that was with uh I had a creative partner on that Avery D'Alessandro and he hosted it and I produced it and I really loved doing it and then I was like well I want to do one and I it's hard for me as I'm sure you've noticed in conversation to be like hyper specific. Like I have a really hard time with that. And I was like, well, I just want it to be all about the behind the scenes. Like, I want to know, I want to know like what it means and why something is considered an eco friendly washcloth. Like what makes that eco friendly? Like who's quantifying that? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Someone explain it to me. Like (laughs) just stuff like that. And then also like, um, I think I don't know, I think the behind the scenes of everything is interesting, interesting from um, how things are made, but then also like one of the big ones I've been wanting to get on, and um, I mentioned to you this previously is like how something goes from like social awareness to a proposition to be voted on. Like I don't understand that. And like I can watch schoolhouse rocks all day, but like how does that happen in real life? Um, and so hopefully, Hopefully, I can have somebody on soon to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Where should people find Civic Eagle
1: online? I noticed that- Not on social media. (laughs) No, you can find us on social.
0: I mean, you're on social, but I've noticed that the Angel List- profile is more frequently updated would that be a good place to follow along and track progress
1: yeah definitely you can find us on angel um civic everything is civic eagle um social media civic underscore eagle um for instagram twitter facebook um you can find me on uh on i mean I, I'm, I have a presence on social media so you can find me at damola ogendope um, and then also just find us online. like all of our all of our information is on there civiceagle.com C-I-V-I-C-E-A-G-L-E.com. all of our information is on there. Always feel free to reach out um, and subscribe to our to our our, uh, our email notifications, our email updates, that type of thing. So thanks.
0: Awesome. Thank you.
1: All right, take care.
0: You too. That was so much fun talking to Demola. I'm really glad we got a chance to connect. He's so great, and I really appreciate him sharing his insight. I love the advice that he gave around just what startups should do during the pre-revenue and post-revenue phases. It was a joy talking to him, and I'm excited to share this episode with everybody. Real quick, if you want to support this podcast, there are a few ways you can do that. Number one is the same thing you hear podcasters plug all the time, which is you can leave a review. Leave both, you know, a certain amount, ideally five stars, and also just write a review. It is very helpful in us just getting better recognized by the Apple podcast algorithm, feel free to subscribe or follow depending on what app you're using. If you want to support by way of you benefiting and me benefiting, you can use one of my promo codes for some of my favorite services. And just a real quick explanation of each one. Number one is breather rooms. This is how you can book quick meeting rooms no matter where you are. Well, I mean, there's some cities that are on there, but in major cities, There are breather rooms, which are meeting rooms that you can book to record your own podcast. You can book these for meetings, whatever it may be. I think they also have the option of like, If you have larger conferences or if you just need a place to work for the day, you can book these uh, with a minimum of two hours, I believe, but you can also book them out for the day. It is a really great way to find somewhere to work just for a day or two or just a partial day or whatever it may be. Use Lynnae, L-Y-N-A-E, to book your breather room and you will save money and I will get some money off my next breather room booking. You can also book in-home massages with the promo code for Soothe. I love Soothe, I book massages through them all the time. You can get couples massages, sport massages, deep tissue, whatever you want. It's great and they come to wherever you're at and set up and that way you don't need to you know, drive while you're overly relaxed. Use code LZ, L-R-Z. And if you're feeling real wild, you can feel free to just shoot me some straight up money for coffee. You can Venmo me at at Lynnae, L-Y-N-A-E dash cook on Venmo, use Cash App, whatever. My Cash App is literally just Lynnae cook, all one word. Your contribution is appreciated. I like to get real caffeinated before recording these intros and outros. Otherwise, I talk at about half the pace and then it sounds ridiculous when you go from that to then my chipper interviews and then a like very sad and boring me at the end. So support my caffeine habit. Help me just be able to fund this in a more reasonable way. And yeah, thanks so much. Hope you enjoyed the episode.